Welcome, Spotlight friends. Welcome to another episode of Ave Spotlight. Today, I am so excited to be able to interview one of my idols. I know, so embarrassing. I know, so embarrassing. I look up to you so much. I'm so happy that you're here. And I know a lot of people are going to love what you have to share. Gloria Purvis, she's a pro-life leader and anti-racism advocate, and she's the host of the Gloria Purvis podcast. She's amazing. She does a million other things that I would need so much more time to share. But we're so happy to have you on with us and so grateful that you are here. Thank you so much for joining us, Gloria. Well, Chanel, thank you for the invitation and you're embarrassing. Me. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I hope I live up to the hype for the listeners. No, we'll no, see. no, no. You are great. You are great. And oh, we are all human so are and like we are all human and blah, blah, Amen. blah, blah, blah. And we're all just out here in these streets trying our best. And I am <laughs> I am so grateful for everything that you've tried to do because it is very inspiring. So I'm I'm grateful for you. And I know that a lot of our guests are probably like, wow, Chanel is really hyping this woman up. And maybe <laughs> I don't even know who she is. So would you mind sharing with our guests just a little bit about who you are and what you're up to? Oh, yeah. So I, I'm originally from South Carolina. So I consider myself a Southerner at heart, although I'm living in the D.C. metro area. I am a convert to Catholicism, third order Carmelite, faithful daughter of the church. I advise the bishops on their uh, Religious Liberty Committee. I also am a pastoral fellow at Notre Dame um, with the McGrath Institute, McGrath Center on Life and Human Dignity. So I'm helping to make courses around human dignity because I really do think that in the United States anyway, I see in the church in dialogue around issues of human dignity that we have an anemic understanding of human dignity. Mm. And I think the response to George Floyd's murder really uncovered a lot of that because you saw people who normally would be defending the life of the human person, particularly children in the womb, and saying, you know, this person is worthy of dignity and respect. But somehow when it came to George Floyd, because of his past, people somehow seem to forget that human dignity is not conditional. Mm. And so I saw a lot of people who would loudly profess themselves to be pro-life and faithful Catholics actually spewing a lot of anti-gospel messaging and forgetting that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God and they're worthy of dignity and respect because of that fact. Even if we might behave beneath how God made us, like the police officer did who murdered George Floyd we still are worthy of dignity and respect. And so with McGrath, I'm hoping to create coursework to help people understand the fullness of that truth of when God said, let us make man in our image. When those words are spoken in Genesis, that still has an impact today. It still has meaning for us today. And it still should guide how we react to people and situations. Hmm. Amen. Oh my goodness. Thank you for doing good work. I know that, um, you know, I mean, the tragedy of George Floyd's murder was yes. so impactful on so mm -hmm. many people. And mm -hmm. I, I myself like noticed the same thing when all of these tragedies were happening, whether it's like Botham Jean or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor, or Atatiana Amada. Jefferson, Ahmaud Arbery. Arbery. It's like mm -hmm. an endless amount of names. Yeah. Being from Florida. Oh, yeah. Trayvon Martin was oh, yes. killed like 20 minutes from me. It's like, oh. and it's an amazing thing to hear kind of the cognitive dissonance happening of, yes. of like, okay, well, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, 
he might have, you know, I don't know, smoked weed in high school. And that has nothing to do with exactly what, you know, or like he may have been a little, you know, nervous and mm. not reacted well, but like, of course he didn't. And, so, and maybe I don't like, care if somebody's you know, resisting, like, <laughs> you do not, you do not, they, they are trained to be able to bring people in yes, alive. Amen. I don't and care if somebody is resisting. You don't kneel on their neck for nine mm, minutes. If, amen. Even if you think they are, you just don't do that. And the fact that people would make excuses or mm. rationalize that kind of brutality against black people tells me how much social conditioning has Mm. obscured people's ability to see the dignity of the human person, particularly when it comes to Black people. But that should not be surprising that we would have this legacy of racism, you know, considering we had centuries of slavery and then after Reconstruction, the resistance to Black freedom all the way through the civil rights movement and now through police brutality, which Black people have been speaking about for more than a century. So, mm-hmm. so it's not news, you know, to us, but to other people, it is an, a nuisance or people feel like our, our calls for, for justice are unfounded because they want to believe or they will say that certain people, because of whatever the latest narrative is, they took drugs, they, Hmm. you know, had committed a crime in the past or whatever thing they could find to prove that you aren't perfect like Jesus, then somehow we will jettison all that we know to be beautiful and true in our love and our Catholic faith about the dignity of the human person. We will jettison all of that. And I was like, no, 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 no. Our Catholicism is the very reason why we are anchored to the truth of the dignity of the human person. And that truth remains regardless of the person's behavior. So even if they behave beneath who they are, we are not to behave and believe and act beneath who we are. Mm. You know, sometimes we just need to remind others. And I'm not saying that means that there's no justice. Sure. No, quite the opposite. I'm saying there is, there has to be justice, but to achieve justice, we must not do unjust things. Mm. So this is so, it's a much more complicated, uh, nuanced position, things to talk about. I wish we had a lot more time, but, mm. you know, the time we have. But anyway, yes. those are some of the things that I'm doing as well as helping people recognize women's equality shouldn't be built on doing violence to our own bodies and the bodies of the children in our wombs. Amen. So really trying to change the conversation about abortion and helping people understand that abortion is just one more system that oppresses women. Mm. And frankly, I think... If Roe does get overturned, or even if it doesn't, we need to renegotiate the social contract around women's equality. Why should our equality be based on requiring us to do violence to our bodies to, quote unquote, be free? I think the whole premise is is foolish. And we need to make authentic demands that really do um, accommodate who we are fully in the economy, in the military, in business, in education, in church, the whole culture. That we are women and by design, we can bear children and be mothers. And the answer is not to tell us we need to be the perfect male worker and therefore detached from these very things of our bodies. The answer is to encumber men to the women and the children that they create and to demand male chastity. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Sharing a word. And and you're working in, I mean, you're working in two... I mean, many, many different groups and areas of interest, public interest. 
but two specific areas, right? Like pro-life area and the anti-racism area, very, very hot, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I know that, I mean, myself, I work in a lot of anti-racist work and it is... It can be a bummer, (laughs) Um, especially when you're, you know, working in in the church, right? And you have hope and you love her and she's great and the church is good. But it can become so hard and challenging kind of day to day to kind of be in and out of things like that. So how do you kind of keep yourself focused and centered, motivated um, when you're doing this work? Is there a certain prayer routine you have or oh, do, you, yeah, well, do, do you talk yeah. to someone? Or oh, how yeah. Does so third order Carmelites, we pray the liturgy of the hours. We do morning and evening prayer. We meditate for half hour a day. We try to go to mass every day. Hmm. We Did I say meditate a half hour? I'm thinking of all my M's. Mary is our model. We also have monthly meetings in community. And then we have a little you know, our own mission apostolate. So in my community of Carmelites, we pray for priests. That's a part of our mission. These are like some of the spiritual, I guess, practices that I try to do every day. And, you know, I I have believed the church's teaching about the human person forever, really. And I think people are just discovering that I, had a heart for racial justice Hmm. because, you know, I guess George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and I was talking about it on a a radio show that I used to have on EWTN and it created a lot of outcry. You know, people loved me when I talked about, you know, defending life in the womb and dignity of women. But then when I talked about, hey, this extends also in areas of racial justice, this extends, of course, in the area of police brutality, this extends, of course, when we look at the sin of racism and people were so shocked that I referred to it as a sin. And I'm like, well, yes, clearly it is a sin. It's a rebellion against God's plan for the human family. And I guess it was just sort of eye-opening and also for some people enraging because mm-hmm. as we have discovered, people look at these issues through the lens of a political party instead of through the lens of the faith. Mm-hmm. And I look at things through the lens of the faith. So you know, people assumed that I was a conservative Republican because I was so staunchly pro-life. And I'm not. I'm, I'm, and I'm also not a liberal progressive Democrat either. I'm just a Catholic. I'm just somebody trying to follow Jesus. And I follow him wherever that takes me. And so I don't have allegiance to political parties. I only have allegiance to Christ. And so I was not afraid at all to say these things, even when people started to falsely accuse me of certain things, you know, that as somehow to discredit my witness here. Hmm. And I just said, that's just more reason to continue speaking because the very people who think they are already converted and don't need conversion because they understand the dignity of the life of the child in the womb, don't realize they also need conversion in recognizing the dignity of the human person uh, who is Black. And there have been centuries of social conditioning in this country to, I think, desensitize people to brutality against Black persons. Um, And maybe some people don't even realize how insensitive, how desensitized they are. But I will tell you, George Floyd revealed a lot of it. The murder of George Floyd revealed quite a bit of it. And even the rage that I saw so many people that I knew who were publicly pro-life, self-identified, devout Catholics, being enraged that the police officer who murdered George Floyd was convicted and found guilty. Mm -hmm. 
And that was quite shocking to me as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot more that has to be done in the church in the United States. And we shouldn't be surprised because we know that the effects of sin can outlive the person who's committed the sin. And so why would we think after centuries of slavery that there would be no residual effect on our culture and on our country? And I mean, you can even go past slavery to what happened post-Reconstruction, the violent resistance to Black liberation, to Black citizenship. Same thing within the civil rights movement. And people will still say, but aren't you satisfied? It's not as bad as it used to be. And I'm like, who would ever accept that? Mm. You know, it's not as good as it should be. It's not where it's supposed to be. And so to receive our demands, our cries, our insistence on justice as an inconvenience, or aren't you satisfied? It's not as bad as it was. To me, shows still the brokenness in the human family, because who wouldn't want the most for a family member who has been wronged, who is suffering, who is still receiving less than they deserve? Who would dare say their family member, well, it's not as bad as it was, settle. This is, to me, evidence of a continued brokenness in the human family that our church and our teachings and, of course, Christ will help us to, to heal. You know, but we, it takes work. It's going to take a lot of work to wash the stain of the sin of racism out of the American fabric. Mm, amen. Yes. And you have a massive, you know, vineyard of workers that are alongside you, you know, yeah, working yeah, yeah. for the same goal. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully yeah, yeah. in our lifetime, we can see, you know, fruits yeah, of that yeah. labor. And if yes. not, like, I pray that the Lord is, you know, merciful on the souls of everyone that is, you know. Mm-hmm. We sow the seeds. Yeah, so we sow the seeds. That's all we can do. This episode of Spotlight is brought to you by Sock Religious. Sock Religious is amazing, y'all. Just to give you insight as to what it is, I have a devotion to Saint Josephine Bakita, Saint John Paul the Great, Saint Teresa of Lisieux. You know, the Avengers of Catholic saints, and Sock Religious has amazing socks t-shirts, sticker packs with all of these saints on them. Not only are they evangelizing, but they also look super dope. So make sure to check out more of what Sock Religious is doing on their website, SockReligious.com. I think that their stuff is super cool and I am blessed to be able to evangelize and flex some really cool attire. So make sure to check them out at SockReligious.com. Thank you so much. God bless. Gloria, so you do so much. You're so, you know, faithful and, you know, you're working so hard in your good work. Were you always this way? And how did you come to know the Lord? Like, how did you get here? So I wasn't Catholic, right? I didn't become Catholic until I was 12. But my family, we believed in God. We went to church every Sunday. I actually grew up in a multi-faith household. My mother, Methodist, grandmother, Baptist. My dad was NFL. Um <laughs> <laughs> that was his thing on Sunday with the NFL. <laughs> I okay, love but, that. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, we believed. I, I don't think there was ever a time that I didn't believe. I just, it's like breathing the air. We believe that God is real and God exists. And I don't think I've, even going to college, I never doubted God's existence. I never repudiated the faith. 
you know, I was growing and learning, you know, more in the faith and, and moving through the world and trying to figure things out and, you know, maybe not being able to put my finger quite exactly on why something didn't seem the way, like something seemed off or whatever, but sometimes you just learn through experience. But what got me here ultimately was my parents sending me and all my sisters to Catholic school from first to 12th grade. I remember in third grade going to the mass at my Catholic school and just being in love with the incense, being in love with how people know to stand up and sit down and say everything, the unity, the unison, everything being said in unison. And also it was a children's mass. So I was like, oh, the lectors were children. Oh, the people bringing up the gifts were children. I love the stained glass. It was just stained glass. It was just a whole body experience for me that I just remember being captivated by the mass. But then fast forward, I was 12 years old in a Catholic school called the Cathedral School, actually in Charleston, South Carolina. It's right across the parking lot from the Cathedral Church on 120 Broad Street, Cathedral St. John the Baptist. And we got in a food fight. <laughs> I love that. And by the way, my school was a Black Catholic school because mm-hmm. even though I grew up long after legal segregation, you know, certain habits are hard to break. And mm-hmm. so the school that I went to on the peninsula in Charleston is where all the Black kids who were going to Catholic school went to school. It's Cathedral School and Sacred Heart was the other school for Black, where the Black kids went. I mean, you didn't, anybody could have gone there, but that's where all the Black people sent their kids. So anyway, we had a food fight. We were like, this is not fair for janitorial staff to clean up after us. So we cleaned up everything, lickety split, spick and span, went to class after recess. And it was class with the principal of the school, who was a religious sister, Sister Carmelita. And Sister Carmelita came in the classroom. And at that time, the kind of discipline we had in, in our Catholic school was anytime an adult entered the room, you had to stand and greet them. Mm. So we were like, good afternoon, Sister Carmelita. And woo, she was mad. (laughs) And this is when I learned Catholics also believe in public confession because one by one, you know, she'd call you by your name and you'd stand up and you'd say, yes, Sister Carmelita. And she'd ask you a question. She'd say, Gloria, did you participate in the food fight? Yes, Sister Carmelita, sit down. And then one by one, Mm. she asked everybody, we all confessed. She was irate. And she said, children, this is unacceptable. And she made us go across the parking lot to the, the lower church, the crypt church in the cathedral to adoration. She went to adoration to work it out with Jesus because she was so upset with us. I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I think I held my breath the entire time from leaving the classroom to walking to the parking lot to sitting down in the pew because I wanted to live. Okay. I didn't want this, mm. this religious sister to be angry with us. So anyway, Sister Carmelita is on her knees in front of the monstrance. And I could see her from the back and her habits swishing around. She has her fists up in the air, like, Lord, give me the strength. And, you know, we were all dead silent because, again, we wanted to live. We didn't want to provoke her. But it was in that dead silence in front of the monstrance that mm, I could only describe it as an immediate knowledge that what was in there was real and alive. And also at the same time, being com- my body being completely consumed in flames and consumed in fire, mm. knowing I was on fire, but at the same time, not hurting. And I can still remember the sensation right now as I'm speaking to you, even though it was so long ago, but it's hard to describe it. Other than to say, you're completely engulfed in flames, but it doesn't hurt. And you have this immediate knowledge that what is in the monstrance is real and alive. And so a few days later, Sister Carmelita came back to my religion class and she said, okay, I got to get the Catholics together and prepare you for confirmation. And I went to her and I said, sister, I think I'm supposed to be a Catholic. And she was like, "Uh -uh, mm -mm, mm uh-uh, 
Nope. You, you don't just come up in here thinking you can become a Catholic. You got to go home and get your parents permission. And so I went home at 12 years old and I did exactly the opposite. I didn't ask for their permission. I informed them that I was becoming a Catholic. Mm. I remember my dad looking at my mom like, what in the world is she talking about? And my mom said, oh, you're going to become a Catholic. And I said, yes. She says, okay, you're going to mass every Sunday, every holy day of obligation. You're going to pray the rosary and you're not going to eat meat on Fridays. Do you understand? And I said, yes. And so that was true. That's exactly what happened in my life. So 12 years old, they would drop me off to the Catholic church every Sunday and every holy day of obligation by myself. And yeah, that was my life. And yeah, my family just completely changed everything to accommodate my faith. And so because I didn't eat meat on Friday, neither did anybody else. Because my mother's like, look here, I'm not cooking twice. Mm-mm. So, and then after a while, all of my sisters converted. All of the men they married were Catholic or either converted to Catholicism. All the grandchildren are Catholic. And so my parents ended up being <laughs> out of all, you know, the whole family. My parents and my grandmother were the only ones who remained in their faith that didn't become Catholic. But all their children, sons-in-laws and grandchildren are Catholic. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. That is amazing. I mean, you hear about little kids having like this moment of, you know, of like, of clarity, you know, and, Mm. but wow, that is like, that is so, so, so cool. So question for you. Yeah. If you could go back and tell younger Gloria anything like a lesson of life or like, this is definitely worth it, or maybe pay more attention to this. What would you share with younger Gloria? You know, I had a sister that was killed in a car accident when she was 22. Mm. And it really rocked my world. She's my older sister. And I would tell younger Gloria to call her every day. Once I went away to college, I would say, Gloria, call her every day. Just talk to her. Mm. Just tell her you love her. Something like that. I, I really, it. I know she knew I loved her, but boy, I wish I had been able to just talk to her every day, every day, every day. So that's the one thing I would go back as I'm thinking just to have more memories with her. Mm. It's just one of those things that I long for. I still miss her. It's been such a long time since she was killed in a car accident and I still miss her, but it's just something I guess in my own little (laughs) selfishness, I suppose, to just have had more intimate time that way with her. So I would go back and tell myself that, call her every day. Even if you just leave a message on her voicemail or whatever, just call her, write her little notes, you know, things like that. 22 is really young to lose someone. So I was even younger than that. I was a teenager. So yeah, boy, those are things that I wish I could go back and tell myself to do that with her and to keep all her notes and all the, she's a wonderful artist all the little things that she would draw. I mean, when I say a wonderful artist, I mean, she was drawing someplace. We're out in public someplace. And this woman that was with a really exclusive art school in Charleston saw her approach. My mom and says, your daughter's got to come to this art school. And my mom was like, how much is it? Just don't worry. I will find somebody to pay for it. Don't even worry about the cost. My sister was incredibly gifted. Mm -hmm. And I wish I still had some of the things that she drew. And she also was self-taught. She could sculpt. Uh, Some of her sculptures, all those things. She was just an incredibly talented artist. And I wish I still had a lot of the things that she had created. Mm -hmm. And what was her name? 
Cynthia. Cynthia. So if anyone was to pray for the repose yes. of our souls, Cynthia yes. okay. uh, was her name. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. We'll definitely pray for her. You soul. know what? It, what's interesting is mm-hmm. because she became a Catholic well before she died, she became a Catholic in high school. That was my parents' first experience with the Catholic funeral and wow. with the way the Catholic church te- treats the dead. Mm-hmm. And so from that, they had an intensely close relationship with the Catholic priest, their father, Egbert J. Figaro, may his soul rest in peace. He was a Holy Ghost father, which was a community to serve the Black community. Mm-hmm. He was also a Black man. Mm-hmm. He was actually, I want to say Father Figaro was originally from Trinidad, if I'm not mistaken. But because the way in which he cared for my parents during that time, they had a very close bond. So much so whenever priests would visit him from out of town, he'd be having dinner at the non-Catholic household of my parents. I love that. I love <laughs> well, we, that. We'd be gone off to college and stuff and we'd call it, hey, yeah, Father Figs over here with Father so-and-so from out of town. You can't <laughs> talk long, you know? Aww. So, I mean, I think about that. And when I tell you God has been very generous with my family, he's been ex- extremely generous. And I, I really think because my parents said yes when I said I'm becoming a Catholic, because they could have, you know, I mean, I couldn't drive. They, they mm-hmm. had to do all this stuff, right? I think out of that, yes, the way God has blessed my family is just a story of his incredible graciousness. He can never be outdone. He mm-hmm. can never be outdone in his generosity. I don't mean graciousness, generosity. Even the way in which my mother and father died, I saw God's hand so present. And I, I will just share this little bit. My mother, when she died, and it was all unexpected, this part of her dying, Mm. I had the opportunity to call a priest, even though she wasn't Catholic. And I got a lot of hassle from churches. Shame on some of those churches in South Carolina wouldn't send a priest to a deathbed. But anyway, this priest came and we prayed, me and my sisters prayed the litany of saints and did all those beautiful prayers of the church in front of my dying mother. And then my sisters left, the priest left, and I stayed with her. And the nurses said, we don't know when her heart is going to stop, but we're taking her off this machine. You can stay if you want. And while I was in there praying the rosary, while my mother was, first I played the Divine Mercy Chaplet because it was three o'clock around three. And then I was praying the rosary. And as I was praying the rosary, God reminded me that my mother was with me when my heart first started beating and I was going to be with her as hers stopped, as hers beat for the last time. Wow. And so when I got to the, decade of the, was it the Assumption? The nurse came in and said, your mother's heart has stopped. And I just had this grand feeling of God being so present and full up in the room with us and that I will see her again. And when the day, that great getting up day, that great resurrection day, that I will see her again. And just, it was, uh, I was so thankful to God everything that she didn't die alone he allowed me to be with her and he allowed the prayers of the church to engulf her at the end of her life so yes i can just i can't even tell you how thankful i am for that wow that's beautiful and what a consolation of the lord to be able to give you that 
Oh, yeah. um, because that is that is so 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 beautiful. Oh my goodness! So God is good. Yes, Amen. God is good. I feel so <laughs> like I feel like I'm definitely going to finish this episode and then go hug my mom and call my sisters. Um, yes, please. Yes. Do. <laughs> oh my goodness. And Gloria, where can we find more information about what you're up to, and where oh, yeah. can people follow what you're doing? Oh, you know, I am so terrible. I do not have a website because I just feel <laughs> like that's weird. Gotcha. But you can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis. I'm also on Facebook. My page is open to everybody. It's just my personal page is Gloria Purvis, P-U-R-V as in Victor, I-S. And then I have an Instagram. It's called I am Gloria Purvis. That's how you can find me on Instagram. And also my Gloria Purvis podcast. Check me out on any podcast app. And sometimes I write for America. And so you can find some of my writing there. But it seems like I'm just everywhere. <laughs> I yeah, just do a lot are, of stuff. You are But everywhere. you can follow me those places and you'll be able to find out what I'm up to. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we'll yeah. make sure to put that in our show notes so people Thanks. can check that out. But thank you so much for sharing your story. And I mean, you are so cool. And maybe since <laughs> we're on air, I'll put a plug like... I would love for you to come on again and talk okay. another time. So I'll put, that, okay. I'll put, that, I'll put sure. that here. But I'm so grateful to be able to talk to you. And I'm sure everyone will feel inspired by hearing your story and your conviction. It's very admirable. And we'll be praying for Cynthia's soul as well as please. the souls of your parents. Oh, um, thank you. Yes. Oh, my yes, gosh. Please. they are. I'm sure they are smiling I next to so. all the saints. So proud. I pray and hope so. Yes. Amen. So, but mm-hmm. thank you so much for being with us. Thank and you, I look Chanel. forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you so much to Gloria for being our guest. Gloria is someone that I really look up to. And so it was such an honor having her. And it was so awesome hearing her story. I'm looking forward to you guys hearing more conversion stories that we have coming up throughout the summer. Please remember that our episodes are every two weeks now, but in between each episode in the interim, you can search at AveMariaPress.com for any books that you like and use the code SPOTLIGHT for 20% off your order. So you can pick out a book and then look forward to our next episode. As always, it's great being here. Please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. God bless. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.